Jesus. What an awesome God you are. Can we just bow our heads this evening and just thank God. He's an awesome God. He's selfless. He's gracious. He's merciful. Just thank God. Thank him for this time. Thank him for the privilege to come to learn at his feet. Thank him for his sacrifice. His sacrifice of love. He gave his life so that we may live. Thank him. He's an awesome God. His love never fails. His love never gives, gives up on us. Even when we are unfaithful, he is faithful. Father, we thank you. We give you praise. Thank you for bringing us into a new month. Thank you for this season. Thank you for your thoughts towards us. Thank you for your plans towards us. Thank you because we know we have a God that we can go to in all situations, good times and challenging times, because we know you are the anchor, you are the helper. We thank you, Father. We ask that tonight you will speak to us, speak to our mind, help us to come to the knowledge of your will for us, your will for our life. Give us understanding of your word. I pray that as we go through the letters, through the word, it will become life. It will not just be logos, but it will be rammer. There will be a revelation how this applies to us. We will leave this Bible study. We will leave feeling free, feeling better, feeling strengthened to live a life that brings glory to you. Thank you for everyone joining on different platforms, those who are here physically and those who are joining virtually. Thank you for all the teams who are anchoring um, all the different systems to make sure everything goes well. We thank you, Father, for their lives, and we bless your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good evening. It's good to see everyone. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. So I hope you all have your outline for those who are in the auditorium. I'm sure the outline is somewhere in the back. Make sure you get a copy of the study, and I welcome all our audience online. Online audience, God bless you. Thank you for joining. Thank you for joining. God bless you. It's just a second, I... My, my computer is not recognizing me. Um, I'm not able to recognize me on YouTube, so it doesn't see me as a subscriber to our page, which I know I am a subscriber, so yeah. You can play with technology. All right, so I guess I will not be able to post any comment. Okay, okay, so let's get into the study so we can we can go through the outline. For anyone joining today for the first time, for friends online, we are going through, we're studying the book of James. We started three weeks ago, and the outline actually lists the different sections that we'll be discussing so we've discussed three parts already, the first three parts. Today we're discussing part four. 
James 2, verses 1 to 12. That's what we are discussing. It's a very straightforward teaching. But as I was going through it, you know, the Holy Spirit just reminded me that the book of James is the Father's heart, is the Father giving us instruction. So as we are going through this study, I really want us to take it to heart that through the writings of Apostle James, God is speaking to us. He's giving us, you know, he's giving us a clear picture of how to live out our faith. Paul talks a lot about, you know, how our salvation comes through faith in Christ Jesus. It's not by works. It's faith in Christ Jesus. It's by grace. But there's another dimension of it that we also need to understand, which I believe James is speaking to us, that after we receive this salvation, we need to live it out. And it takes faith to live it out. It takes faith to do faith in Christ, knowing that it's not by my ability, it's because I am in Christ. I can do what Christ has commanded me to do. And going back to the beginning, um, well, the first lesson that Pastor Jay did, he told us that this book of James is really is synonymous to the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, Beatitudes, the attitude of a believer, what we should do. So I want us to take it with an open heart that this is the Father speaking to us. Everything we are talking about, everything that this book is talking about is speaking to me, is speaking to you, is speaking to all of us. Amen. Amen. So that's just my little opening speech to us. So let's look into the introduction. In chapter one of the book of James, we discuss in depth what trials and temptations are, how we should respond to suffering as a believer. We also discuss the importance of knowing, that's the second part of chapter one, knowing the word of God, understanding the word and doing the word. That was the challenge James gave. And I believe the rest of the, the, of the book is really about the things that we should be doing as a follower of Christ. Today we continue our study of the book of James as we delve into chapter 2. We continue with Apostle James' discourse to the Jewish believers. A conversation on how they should live out an exemplary life of Christ-likeness in their dealing with people of different status as he addresses the issue of favoritism. So today's discussion will be on favoritism. It's titled, Warning Against Favoritism. Warning Against Favoritism. All right. So, just to kick off a conversation, how many of you have favorites? Like, I have favorites. My favorites, my favorite actor, my favorite actress, my favorite... <laughs> 
That's why I like Randy. Randy is not, you know, Randy says his mind. Welcome, kids. God bless you. Have a seat. Um, yeah. Even in church, we have favorites. Let's be honest. This is, we have our favorite worship leader, favorite usher. Some people, if their favorite usher welcomes, welcomes them to church, that day's service is great. If their least favorite usher welcomes them, oh my God, something else, you know. Favorite minister, Randy just told us it's pastor. And I know Randy doesn't hide it. So it's, it's, it's really natural to us to just be drawn towards certain people for certain reasons. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. It's, it's, it's the human nature. But as people born of the Spirit, we are being challenged that when it comes to our, the way we see people, we should see them through the eyes of God. We should love everyone. We should treat everyone with respect, with love, regardless of where they are on the spectrum of our likeness. The likeness is really what we all deal with. And really, as we mature in Christ, that likeness, everyone should really be really on the same spectrum. But it's, it, it, it will evolve over time because the way our world is wired, we are just drawn, we are kind of wired to like and not like, pick and not pick. So... The honest truth is we all have favorites. We all have favorites. But it's something that we, that we need to address. And that's what this Bible study is about. So let's open our hearts and mind. Because when you simply, I mean, just from these verses, having favorites is, having favorites to the detriment of other people is a sin. It's a sin, period. So it's something for us to really think about. I need someone. You have a... Okay. So any thoughts on that? Anybody wants to share who their favorite is? Confession time. Maybe something to try to explore. I mean... Okay. Let's explore uh, it. I mean, I'm here... This is my favorite minister, or this is my favorite person. Is that equal to favoritism? Huh? So I think it's, it's something to okay, really clear. Okay, let's talk about it. It's something to clear up. The, I think favoritism actually is more of action yes. that we take. It's more of uh, when we begin to treat someone unfairly because of, you know, uh, with you know, for whatever reason. So I think that's when favoritism comes in. Not just I have favorite. Otherwise, I think we might get in trouble try mixing the two together. Okay. Thank you for the clarification. I can, I did allude allude to that um, in as I was speaking that liking is kind of natural to us that we do like things. We do like certain things better. We like certain things certain people, certain food things better, but when it comes to people in our lives, we should have love for everyone. 
um, while on our spectrum of likeness, people will fall into different buckets, but we should have love for everyone. So I did say that. I just, bring, I just brought in that um, point of favorite, favorite because it makes us see that we, um, we, all, we all have a tendency to be drawn to certain things. And the point is, which is what you're saying, is so long we do not deprive other people of what is due to them because of our favorite. Our favorite. So thank you for that clarification. So let's keep going. So I need someone to read the, I want us to read through the 12 verses. It's very straightforward. I need someone to read from the, the outline has the NIV version, but if you can read from the contemporary English, CEV, Let's read from the CEV. And um, for, for everyone online, can you please share, share this link? Remind somebody about Bible study. It's always very, very helpful. Send this link to someone. Share it on your different social media. Remind people that it's time for Bible study. Okay, um, Adeyemi, thank you. You're welcome. Um, you said read the first 12 or four? Verses 1 to 12, okay. chapter 2. My friends, if you have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you won't treat some people better than others. Suppose a rich person wearing fancy clothes and a gold ring comes to one of your meetings. And suppose a poor person dressed in worn-out clothes also come. You must not give the best seat to the one in the fancy clothes and tell the one who is poor to stand at the side or sit on the floor. This is the same thing as saying that some people are better than others, and you would be acting like a crooked judge. My dear friends, pay attention. God has given a lot of faith to the poor people in this world. God has also promised them a share in his kingdom that he will give to everyone who loves him. You mistreat the poor, but isn't it the rich who boss you around and drag you off to court? Aren't they the ones who make fun of your Lord? You will do all right if you obey the most important law in the scriptures. It is the law that commands us to love others as much as we love ourselves. But if you treat some people better than others, you have done wrong. And the scriptures teach that you have sinned. If you obey every law except one, you are still guilty of breaking them all. The same God who told us to be faithful in marriage also told us to not murder. So even if you are faithful in marriage but murder someone... You have still broken God's law. Speak and act like people who will be judged by the law that sets us free. Amen. Thank you. So that's the contemporary English version. It's very straightforward. It's very clear. So let's begin to go through these verses and talk about our thoughts, what we think. So verse 1 to 4 he went straight to his conversation. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord. So it's very clear that this writing is to Christians. As we discussed in the first part, is writing to Jewish Christians. At this time, this is one of the first books of the New Testament. At this time, Gentiles were not even part of the Christian faith. 
So Apostle James is writing to the believers here. So believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy, clo- filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. You, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So here, um, James is talking about this issue because in the, in the society at that time, there, definitely there's a reason why he's really, his first topic to discuss after talking about, okay, as a believer, there'll be persecution, there'll be trials and temptation, you know, be a doer of the word, listen, don't just, you know, hear, but listen and, you know, slow to speak, quick to listen, be a doer of the word. The first thing he really he started talking about for them to do is on this issue. It's, it's a major issue because in that time where they live in, people are always boxed and labeled by different things. So just for us to have more clarity, um, I want us to give define favoritism. What is favoritism? Let's share. I want to hear from you all. When you, when you hear that word, what comes to mind? Yes, Maya, go ahead. Describe it for us. Because in as much as it's a it was a big deal back then. I believe it's really relevant. It's really relevant in our times. Go ahead. Um, I think it's, I mean, what Pastor Gita said earlier was pretty spot on. Um, as far as it just being when you're just partial to somebody or towards something. Um, and you're, I think it's less so having a favorite and more so giving favors or being more favorable uh, to somebody else or more partial to someone else over someone for whatever reason it may be. Okay. Being partial, that's a key word. Showing partiality. Anyone else? Why are people quiet? This is the topic of the day. You go on social media, it's all about somebody, you know, it's about somebody treating someone unfairly. These are, you know, these are the buzzwords, injustice, unfairness. Anyone else? Okay, go ahead. I just say. Um, I'll say favoritism is um, basically picking a side. Um, and it's, yeah, you're picking a side and it's um, pretty much lack of equality. You know, across um, everyone, showing equality. You're not showing equality every, to everyone because you're picking a side of who you selectively want to favor. Okay, thank you. Picking a side. Audience online, you can also share. Um, picking a side, can, we'll, we'll come to that. Yes, go ahead. Favoritism is, to me, it's like pretty much. It's like, like treating someone, treating like one person better than you treat the other. And like, let's say like my, my mom, she would, 
she'll like treat my little sister better than she treats me and my little brother. <laughs> Preach it, girl. There's a lot of favoritism going on in our lives. It starts from home. God help us. <laughs> God. <laughs> Thank God for children. They just, they say it. Well, anyone else? You are treating someone better. Like, treating someone better than others. Yes. Pastor Paul. Other words for favoritism. I think it's partiality. Partiality, yes. Or preferential treatment. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. So just for us to move on, I will, I will quickly read what I have here from, from the dictionary. Favoritism is the practice of giving unfair preferential treatment to one person or a group at the expense of another. So, you see, we can even pick sides in, in situations. Sometimes, you know, you just, it's just a matter of, oh, I'm Arsenal I'm versus Chelsea, you know, whatever. You pick side. Um, in life, we have to, you know, I don't know, I don't, I, I don't have any sports team. I, but just, you know, we, we can pick sides. So long somebody is not, it doesn't have... There's no pain incurred on somebody else. So the definition here means when you give unfair, so unfairness is there and you treat someone or a group of people better at the expense of others. So some people have been denied a privilege. That's when favoritism, you know, comes to play. And this kind of buttress what pastor said when he was giving that clarification earlier that it's okay to have some people that you have likeness towards you you're drawn towards so long you're not denying other people of respect and honor you know it's okay so and even in the if you look at the different version of, of scriptures the new king james version calls it partiality that's the word Pastor Paul used partiality, and Mayawa also alluded to that. Um, the amplified version used partiality, favoritism, and prejudice. Prejudice is also when you show prejudice, that's favoritism. So do we still have this amongst believers? Because James was writing this to the church, to the people. Do we still have favoritism in the church? Anybody wants to do it? Yes, Sister Tony. Based on the question that you asked just now, if we still have uh, favoritism going on among the believers, what will you consider this? Certain churches, people, certain people have a place assigned for them to sit, or even in conference, you go to church conferences, certain people, the pastors or whoever, they are in the front. And then you that have been there, maybe you've been there all day, you are compared to be at the back. Would that be considered favoritism? Now we're talking. Let's spill it out. Let's spill it out. Special seats. High table. Okay. <laughs> 
Yeah, so that's, that's a very good question. Thank you. Um, uh, you're actually addressing a question I want to address later, but we can talk about it now. It depends. Everything is about context. So I know some churches, like, um, growing up, I grew up as a Baptist. It didn't happen in my church, but I know some. My parents were Anglican before they became Baptist, and they, um, they did mention that they will have, like, certain people, maybe they, they are, they, because they are givers in the church, because they, uh, they just have certain titles, they have a special seat. Some of them even have, like, names on their seat. Um, yeah, things like that. So, I, I don't see that, com- it's not a common practice anymore. And I don't even want to speak to that because I'm not familiar. But when it comes to, like, events and people, like, people having a special seat, is the context, you know, when, if, if people, sometimes we do this because of, organize, you know, of order. Like now in Agape, you know, a choir sits over there, minister sits over there because for flow, you know, they can, because of orderliness. Um, when you talk about maybe an event and the place is packed and the, a pastor comes in and they bring them to the seat. That, I won't call that favoritism because there's a place for honor, Right? And even Bible talks about giving honor. Bible talks about giving honor to parents, giving honor to elders, giving honor to those who labor in ministry. So at a church event, at a program, if the pastor or, you know, they come in, they bring them to, a, to the front seat because they've labored in that space. The same pastor goes to um, any other events, I don't think necessarily they will be given that special seat. It depends on their relationship with the people. But I think in the context of church, if a leader, you know, someone who is a servant in, in church, in the ministry, is given that special seat, I won't call that favoritism. That's honor. That's honor. Um, anybody wants to chime in? I, I actually... Will... You want okay. to clarify? Okay. okay. That aspect of uh, arranging, like, the choir has to be somewhere, the ministers have to be some, uh, seated somewhere, that is not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that certain churches, up to today, you go, they have seats for Mr. So-so-so, Chief So-so-so, you know, it's something that is still yeah. going on. So, so that's, that's not, yeah. That's my question, like, is, would that be considered? Yes, it will be. And this is part of what uh, James is addressing. When you, when it's a, it's, it's a standard that in this church, certain people, because they are of high status, because they are powerful, whatever the category is, you know, that's favoritism and that's not acceptable. And it's really, it's what James is talking about is so important because we see it really infiltrating into churches. 
um, I remember when we were starting the church, when we were moving to this building and even with people that were putting together things and furniture and people were like, oh, Pastor Gide, so what, what kind of seat are you going to have? Pastor was like, there's no special seat for me. We are, everybody is going to have the same type of seat. And I'm not, I'm not condemning that in some churches you, you, can, you will see this special like wedding banquet all chair for the, for the pastor and the first lady and the senior. It, it, it was intentional that we're not going to do that. No, everybody's going to sit on the same purple chair. So, yeah. Any other thoughts? Okay, so let's move on so we can... Con- yeah, so that's, that's an example. That's an example when people are given special seats. So James is talking about this because in that time, you know, people are categorized Jews, Gentiles, slave and free, rich and poor, Greek and barbarian. So he wanted to make sure that the believers, and it's just the norm of the society, just as we still have it in our society, in different parts of the world. I know many times we think, you know, in the United States, we think, oh, there's, there is, of course, there, there is inequality. There's no, it's just, that's the, that's the life we live in. But I would say to a great extent, the U.S., the society has tried in so much, in so many ways to really leverage the, level the playing field. You go to many parts of the world, it's so clear, you, you, it's so glare that you can see the status difference. You can see it. Um, so he was talking to the believers, knowing that now that we are preaching Christ, we are preaching to all people. We are preaching to the slaves, we are preaching to the free. So when these people come into our assembly, to the synagogue, we don't treat them separately. We don't put the slaves' seats on the side and the free people sit on this side. This is what James was addressing because he wanted them. He doesn't want the custom of the world to be how the church handles interaction among believers because we, that's what Jesus Christ taught them. So favoritism is something that is very big that we should not tolerate amongst believers. I have two points here just to highlight some of the things that favoritism is. Favoritism is inconsistent with the teaching of, the, of Jesus Christ. In John 15, Jesus said to his disciples, love one another, you know, as I have loved you. He said, I no, I no longer calls you, because it, it was their master, right? He said, I no longer called you, call you slave. I call you friend. You know, that was a hand of fellowship. If you, if you read that John chapter 15. I also want us to read, can somebody open to Deuteronomy 10, 17? Deuteronomy 10, 17, and somebody open to Acts. It's not there on the, on the script, but um, Deuteronomy 10, 17, and this is even giving us, talking about God, that God is not a God of partiality. If you are there, you can read and the other person, Acts 10, Acts 10, verse 34 to 35. NIV, NIV. Okay, who has the first scripture? Deuteronomy 10, yeah. 17. Yes. 
Okay, I'll just read from the screen. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. God does not show partiality. And we just look at nature. God, the sun shines on everyone, both the righteous and the sinner. Just from that simple, just looking at it from that simple perspective, God, God's, God's love is poured out to all. God does not show partiality. So if we are his children, we should not do that either. Acts 10, and this is about how, you know, God in his own wisdom showed his intention to the early apostles that even though Jesus preached only to the, to, the, to the Jews, his intention was to bring all people to faith. Salvation was for everyone. So this is what, you know, how Peter's confession after Cornelius' family was saved. Who asked Acts 10? Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Thank you. So favoritism is not, um, is not a trait that believers should have. Okay, I'll take, let me just read a few of the comments from our online friends. What one sees as honor versus favoritism is tricky in church setting. I feel like honor is deserved and recognized appreciation with high esteem of someone versus favoritism that is selective with no accurate equation in treating someone else with kindness. Very good, very good. Favoritism is unfair partial treatment to one another at the expense of, okay, all right, thank you, thank you for that. So let's move forward, let's move on. All right, so verse five and seven. He said to them, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has God not chosen the poor who are in, your, in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised, those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? So here he's talking to them that, you know, the way people, the way we see the poor people, that's not how God sees the poor people. In our society, in, and in this society, you see the poor people as, you know, um, a nuisance, a burden. You don't really see any advantage in them. And that's why you treat them. You put them to sit at your feet. But he's saying that in God's eyes, God even chooses the poor. He chooses them for, to showcase his power. He chooses them to showcase, you know, great things about him. He loves them because the poor embrace the word of God. A lot of the people that will run to, even, even today, even today, a lot of people that are coming to faith, that will easily come to faith, are the poor because they have nothing else. You know, the rich can choose to trust God, and that's one of the challenges we have in our Western world, 
because you know you have food, you have food, you have the basic needs of life at your fingertip. You know, you can you can get the food you need, you can get, you know, shelter, you can use your credit card. But in places where people have nothing, they are only they totally depend on God. And God delights in that. So God is trying to teach us a lesson that and we should not despise the poor, we should honor the poor. Because in God's eyes, the poor actually, if it, if it comes to those who, you know, value, God really cherish them. And God in his wisdom also uses the small things of this world, the seemingly poor, the seemingly simple things to showcase his power. Any other thoughts, any comments on that? So the key point here is that we shouldn't view people, we should not view people from just our own eye, from human point of view. We should see them from God's point of view. Yes, Sister Grace. Yeah, um, and in, in addition to what it is that you said and the scripture that we read, actually, I'll also like to add that a poor person is not just someone that is not financially stable. It can actually also be somebody that God has given to you to mentor. It can be maybe you're a lead at your job and the person is under you and the fact that you feel like, okay, I'm the boss over you. It can even be in the marketplace, you know. So I think we need to be really, really cautious of what God is trying to tell us. It's not about the power that is given to you, but the ability for you to use what is given to you to also mentor this person. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I want us to, in our own, let's bring it to our own time and make it relevant because like I said in this western world where we are let's use our community Roselle New Jersey I mean I don't think we'll really see anyone coming in in rags really I don't think we'll see but there are other things that we will see that doesn't fit the standard of ideal uh, that we will really prefer I want us to talk about that because those are some of the areas where we show favoritism. Yes, my sister. Yes, I was um, just thinking when you were saying in places where people have nothing, they tend to cling to God. Yes. Um, and depend on him. Uh, and I think you meant geographically. But yes. When, when you said that, I thought chronologically, like in terms of seasons in our life. Hmm. So also in places when we have nothing. We don't have friends. We don't have anything. In seasons maybe where it's not the optimal time, then all we have is depend on God so we can cling to him even closer. Beautiful. Beautiful. That even, what she, what my sister, what's your name? Can you give her the mic? Can the video show her? Because sometimes the video, you don't project people. <laughs> Uh, my apologies. Yes, sometimes we, it's like we pick who we are projecting. I, I, I can't see it. I'm just saying. I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> my apologies. Yes, I'm Rebecca. <laughs> That's just me being me. Okay. Yeah. Can you repeat it? I was. Oh, oh, oh. Yes. Sorry. Um, I was saying that when you were mentioning that in places in the world mm -hmm. where people don't have anything, then they, all they have is to depend on God and yes. they cling to God. But when you were saying that, I was just thinking not just geographically, but also 
uh, chronologically in terms of season if yes. in our life. Yes. Like maybe we're not married yet. Maybe, you know, we don't really have what we want. Maybe we're in a lonely season. We don't have friends. Yes. In places where we don't have anything, then what we have is to depend on God. We we're embrace him more. Amen. Closer. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. So let's, what does Paul look like in our time? Like what does... We know, I think we, we look at people and size them up all the time. Okay. I don't care. It doesn't matter the society. I mean, we're obviously not in the Stone Age when it is obvious, but I think it's still obvious uh, that when people show up, we, we, see, we see the dress they wear. We can sometimes tell this is expensive. I mean, this is, this is the shoe, this is the bag, this is the car they drove in, uh, this is how they come in, and sometimes we have the tendency to show more reverence or difference to those people uh, somehow, to treat them, to greet them better, to show them more respect, to show them more honor, uh, simply because our perception is uh, they are rich, they have money, or they have this, they have status. Uh, so I think it, it still happens today, and I think uh, we all, all of us, uh, should take that word seriously. I think uh, James is definitely talking about a society that was, uh, class was a big thing in the society they were, right? Uh, it was a society where people didn't mix that much. The poor had where they, 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 they stay or where they do stuff. The rich had their life. <laughs> but church becomes where all everybody meets, and people come to church, they still want to say, you know what, I, I think the class is still there. So what James is writing is actually very radical for that time. Yes. To really say, you know what, don't treat people based on their status. Because at that time, it used to be obvious. But I think it's still pretty obvious now. Uh, there's still temptation for even church leaders uh, to, look, to look at someone to say, I mean, this person probably is more, has a bigger status. You know, the ushers treat them a little bit more differently. They, all of a sudden, uh, the, you know, space magically appeared that wasn't there before. <laughs> you know, because this person appeared to be someone of status, not necessarily because they are someone to be honored. I think uh, you had uh, made reference to that. I think the Bible is clear on who, who we, are, we are to honor, right? Yes. To honor church leaders, elders. We are to honor, parents. you know, sometimes a parent. I mean, sometimes it also tells us to honor people who are weak. Weak. Uh, you know, in, in, in church. I mean, which is, you know, maybe someone is, uh, you know, handicapped in a way. We give them some treatment because of that. But I think that is being honoring not because we somehow are being fleshy in that, in that yes. regard. We are not being unfair in that regard. We are trying to honor the people because they deserve it. Whereas in case of uh, favoritism, there's, there's no, the person hasn't done anything to deserve, but we are just reading into what we think about them and giving them preferential treatment at the expense of others. Yes, at the expense of others. And one thing that just, one thing that comes to mind about you know, how we can define poor is we see that person as a burden. So it's not necessarily like they, they come in rag clothes, but 
someone is in your, maybe at workplace, I think Sister Grace was talking about, at workplace, even in family, even in church, you see this person, you're like, oh, this person is work, this person is a project, and you, you want to move away from them. You want to move to someone that, oh, if I become this person's friend, they work at a big, you know, they work at a big bank, they, they have a, they, they have a business, I can get some discounts. You know, like we calculate, you know, and we, we move away from someone that we feel, mm, I don't have anything to gain. We look for people that we can gain from. That's an example of how poor looks like in our, in our today society in the church. And I will tell you that, you know, one of the things God has helped us to do, as, as you, you know, in our work, even in this church, in the journey of this church is, to, by God's grace, to embrace all people and people that probably look like a burden. Of course, this is what a church should bring everybody, everybody in, right? Two years down the road, they become the greatest asset to the church. They, they add so much value. This is something I, I, I can really testify to. So as we are going through this study, I open by saying this is God speaking to us. We are in a season of being disciple, right? We are being disciple, and God is teaching us practical things that our society has made to become a norm. We pick and choose. We look after people, you know, with the gold ring. But some people may look like a burden, but those are the people that God has put in our life because there's a value that is in them that will add value to our life. I just want to say, I think I'm a little different because I tend to get along with people that I see on the street that might be homeless. And I remember one time, um, I I do feed the homeless a lot, especially when I have extra money because that bothers me because everybody need to eat. And I feel like sometimes, like, I just started coming to church. When I come to church, I do feel comfortable because it's a lot of places I used to go. So I feel as soon as you walk there, they judge you on your hair, how you dress, what bag you have, what car you drive. I don't want them kind of people in my life. I want people in my life that likes me for me, not for what I have. I never liked people for what they had because growing up, my mother, we were, I was spoiled. So I always tend to like people or get along with people that don't have more than me because they're more realer. They're more... You people with money, they're kind of bougie. Yeah. And I don't want to be around them kind of people. I like to be around people that's humble, yeah. that's grateful, that's understanding. And a lot of people that people might think is poor really have big hearts, and they're just going through a hard time right now. And just because they might look this way today don't mean next week they won't be a CEO of a company yes. or something. You don't know nobody's struggling what they're going through. So. Yes. I teach my kids that too. You never judge people because, oh, they don't have the new Jordans. Make that be your friend because yeah. you don't know what that person going through Absolutely. at home. So Thank that's you for sharing I'm... that. And, and you are not different. You actually are you, who you should be. And this is what James is telling us. The God who made us is not a partial God. He, you know, he shows mercy to all who will come to him. So we are really talking about what we should be to really love everyone, not to, not to pick and choose. So you are really, that, that, that's what it means to be Christ-like. That's what it means. To, and I, I like what you said about what we teach our children. We, we don't realize that 
when we looked for people with the gold ring, that's, and I'm saying gold ring because that's what James used to describe the rich. Um, when we, if that's our focus, we are indirectly teaching our children to only look towards people that look a certain way. So God help us. Okay, go ahead. Um, before I became a Christian, when I was in college, there were, these girl, there were this group of people, there were like three, they were born again Christians, like really serious ones. And this almost kind of like made me feel a certain way about Christians. And I'm sharing this in particular so that we can kind of like be careful the way we relate with um, unbelievers. And um, I remember there was this girl in particular. Sometimes I'm like, uh, can you lend me your note? And she's like, yeah, sure. I'll lend you my note and everything. And immediately the class is over. And I'm like, can I have your note? Say maybe the lecturer was dictating notes. And one, somebody else from her group, like the Christians, now says, after she, even if she's on the verge of giving it to me, she'll be like, no, my sister wants it. And I'm like, but you, I asked you first. I just need it for, and she, was, she would be like, no. She did that a couple of times. And to be honest, because of that, many of us could not even relate with them because it's like you say one thing and the moment one of your people, your fellow Christians come up, you, you're, you're just, you just turn around. That's number one. Number two, in the church. So um, this was, um, okay, let me not go there. This church, I found out when you come and it's like everyone say hi to each other, you know, like after praise and worship, that kind of thing. And they'll be like hugging on her, hugging on her. And when it comes to your turn, it's like, hi. That, I, I, think, I think to me, that's really favoritism. And if I recall those incidences very well, there are some people that I knew that stopped going to the church. And were like, these people look at us just because we don't dress like them as sinners. So I just wanted to put that in there while we're talking about that. Okay, just, I mean, again, thank you for, thank you for sharing. Again, everything is in context. Definitely, um, with the issue of organ, sometimes too, you know, relationship, people are comfortable with each other, they org and... But if it's a pattern that this particular person never gets hugged, then, then maybe that's an issue of favoritism. But sometimes you should give people grace. You know, you, you, they're not comfortable with someone, but there's a way you can still show and acknowledge people, even if you don't hug them. So that's something we should do. Let's acknowledge people. Go ahead, Adiem. Okay, all right, let's move on. Let's move on. So I see the online audience, there's a lot of conversation. I'm not even going to join the conversation, but let's just keep to the script, you know. Uh, but it's really going good. Thank you for all the posts. Um, thank you. So, you know, one thing that favoritism, you know, display is that it's, it, it, the motive is selfish. It, it, the motive is selfish. It's about what can I gain? And we know Christianity is about selflessness. You care for people without even expecting anything in return. So um, that's one thing that we should be mindful of. Favoritism insults people made in God's image. You know, when you discount certain people um, because of where they're from, how they look. And these are things that we still do in the body of Christ. You know, we even find it... Sometimes when, in, in terms of 
um, even maybe marriage. I, I, I'm so, when Christian says, oh, I will not allow my child to marry someone from this particular race or, the, you know, it, those are, I mean, those are, those are areas we need to check. I understand, you know, many times you want to marry someone from the same cultural background for the ease of, but we should be, we should examine ourselves so long the person is a believer, I think that should be the number one thing on the scale, not the other things that the world uses as a standard. They have to be from a certain profession. They have to be, you know, these are some of the things that we still see in Christianity, the so-called gold ring. It's interesting, I was reading about this gold ring that James talked about. He said that's the way in the Roman society, it's a, that's the way you identify, you know who is wealthy. It's such a big deal that sometimes people go to even, when they're going for occasion, they go to rent a ring to put on. It's like how we go, how people rent, you know, rent, rent the runway. You want to look gorgeous. You want to look like a celebrity when you're going to a wedding and you go and rent the runway so people can really, really take pictures with you. So things like that, that's what, that's why um, James used that example. I just wanted to speak to that quickly. So let's move forward. Verse 8 to 11. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as, a law break, as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the old law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. So James is just trying to put, he's just trying to get to his point. His core message in this beginning of chapter 2 is that we should love, we should, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. In this, Jesus said, the old law is fulfilled. And he's, he's, using, he's, he's showing us that when we show favoritism, when we treat people unfairly, when we treat them, you know, when we, take, we deprive them of things at the expense of other people, we are displaying favoritism. And it's a sin, period. It's not a life of love. It's not a life of love. So that's really, that's the key message from what, you know, this old verse is talking about. And it's saying that if you, you may be doing everything right, but if you still have this weakness of showing favoritism, you are a sinner. And in the eyes of God, if you break one law, you've broken everything. So it's not something to take lightly. It's something for us to really, really think about. In what way, in what way are we still not fully giving of ourselves and loving people? And sometimes it's really based, you know, we have good intentions. We don't wake up to say, I, I, I want to take away from somebody. But it's because, again, society, what we've experienced, what we've read, what we've seen, um, it affects us. But as somebody who is a believer in Christ, we should really allow the Holy Spirit to help us 
to live a life that is loving, honoring to all people, to children. Sometimes in church, we, 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 we treat children less. And Jesus gave us a, good, a great challenge. Even He gave it to the disciples. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. Sometimes it's that. Sometimes in family. A lot of us grew up in a culture that, you know, children get the crumbs. <laughs> the adults get the best. And that still affects us even in how we deal with things, how we deal with people. If somebody is younger, we don't give them the honor, you know. Things like that, we should really allow the Holy Spirit to filter it through our mind. How do we come short? How do we come short? God is... I know there's a question that came on the, on the platform on YouTube that um, talking about Jacob and Esau, when God said, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, that God is showing favoritism. I, don't, I won't really go into that, but from the scriptures we read, and if you see in many, many, many scriptures, God is a loving God. Deuteronomy 10, 17 talks about God does not show partiality. It's good to address it because the Bible actually is clear that God does not show favoritism. So in that case, it has to be something else. This is how you interpret the Bible, right? The Bible is so clear. Uh, Romans, uh, uh, what, 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 uh, Romans 2, 11, God mm-hmm. does not show favoritism. Mm-hmm. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know God does not show favoritism, right? So... Bible is so clear on that, and as a student of the Bible, you cannot be arguing with the Bible. You cannot say God shows favoritism when God says, I don't show favoritism. So what you have to do is, I mean, you have to interpret Scripture with Scripture. So you have to know that what happened with Israel and Jacob is not favoritism. Mm -hmm. It's something else. So you now have to figure out what is that. Uh, I mean, that's not the, what I want to get into today, but to Think people to think, teach people how to think biblically. Your job is not to try and you know you have mix, to mix match. yeah you have to assume the scripture is true, right? God does not show favoritism; is emphatic. Mm-hmm. That is true. It appears all over the pages of the Bible. If you see something different, because the Bible didn't God didn't say I show favoritism. You now have to say it is not favoritism; it is some other principles at play. Even if we don't understand it, we just say we don't understand it, but obviously we know that that is not favoritism in that place because God is not lying. Can God lie? No. Uh-huh. So except you want to say, God, you are lying, then that's up to you to take that to God, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's good to understand that. I mean, I don't think we have time to go into yes. to, to that. We're going to have to go to Romans chapter, is that Romans chapter 9 or 10 to really go deep into the issue of Esau and, Jacob. Esau and Jacob. That's a very deep thing that we don't want to get into. We don't have time. Thank you, Pastor, for shedding light. And I really want us to, because this issue of Jacob and Esau, some people really think about it a lot, and they see things in life. They see some in, um, unfairness or lack of equity, and they think, oh, even in their life, and they think, oh, I'm not God's favorite. See, that's not in line with the scripture. Like Pastor said, the story of Jacob and Esau is God's, is not linked to with favoritism. It's just God's model of showing his plan of how he's choosing us, how he's choosing, you know, it's a, it's a whole different topic. 
is linked to salvation and all that. But when it comes to how God sees each and every one of us, we are loved. We are, we are special. His mercy is, you know, is not, is unending. So, and that's how you should see yourself because the devil used this to make some people feel like, oh, you're not going to get this thing from God because you are in the camp of, in God's eyes, you are in the camp of Esau. So I just want to speak to that. Um, let's continue. We have a few more minutes. So one of the key things that, like I said, is about love. The, we need to, that's really what Jake, um, James is trying to teach us here. Favoritism goes against the biblical definition of love. We understand that love is so clear. Um, Leviticus 19.18 talks about us not seeking revenge, you know, forgiving. Um, that's how God wants us to live our life. Matthew 22, 36 to 40 talks about the greatest law, which I shared earlier, loving the Lord. And Galatians 5.14 says we should love our neighbor as ourselves. So God, has God wants us to love, and favoritism does not fall into that. Favoritism is sin. So I just put this bullet point for us to see. When you're, when you're, working in, when you're living a life of favoritism, you are being hypocritical. That's another thing. God wants us to be a light Wherever you find yourself, in any, wherever you show love, you, 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 you are a light to people. You are a salt. You see people who are going through a burden. You try to take the burden off of them, not just because only somebody that can pay me back. And he's saying that in the end of um, verse 12, uh, even going to verse 13, he's saying that when you've shown mercy to people, when you've shown love to people genuinely, God looks at that. You are adding to, the, to your account. And God says, I'll be merciful to those who are merciful. In the beatitude, he said that. And we should know that we will all meet with Christ at the judgment seat. And how we, what, our, what we do to people, how we treat people, is one of the ways that we will be judged. So this is why this lesson is very, very important. Amen. Amen. I have something here, you know, it's almost time is gone, but I just want to quickly touch discussion. Character, charisma, credentials. Character, charisma, credentials. What's the most important? When we're talking about, when you're looking at someone, what is what was the most important to you? Character, charisma, credential. I want someone to just quickly answer. It should be character. It should be character. And I, I want us to take that home. Because really. Our world, our society, will, will want you to, you know, credentials. I even have someone ask me the other day, oh, how come when you put your bio together, you don't put your degrees? I'm like, when did, we, when, when did that become an issue in church? I, mean, I understand if I'm putting my profile on LinkedIn, yes, I should put my degrees, but I'm putting my bio for a church event and I have to put that I have so, so, so accolades. And I see that trend in the church that, and I'm not saying we should not celebrate people's successes, but these are some of the things that it's the way of the society, of the world, and believers are so much buying into it. Because some people feel like, oh, if they know that I'm this and that, I have MD, MCAT, <laughs> SAT, then they will give me a special seat. And people start, you know, and people talk about it. Believers begin to talk about, these are some of the things. 
credentials, charisma. Oh, that person, you know, the way they look. Have you seen their, you know, their car? Have you seen their house? You've seen them? No, it's the character that God is looking for. In us, the character, in the people we associate with. So I really want us to ponder on that. May God help us. Character is what we look for. Amen, amen. So in conclusion, ponder on today's lesson and ask for the help of the Holy Spirit to remove cultural and societal influence that affects how you see people and how you treat people. Pray that God will help you to eliminate every form of prejudice that is hidden in your heart. Pray that you will see all people through the lens of God. And Paul gave us a good scripture, which, we should, which I want us to pray about, 2 Corinthians 5.16. I have the amplified version. So from now on, we regard no one from a human point of view. Human point of view, which is the worldly standard and values. Though we have known Christ from a human point of view, now we no longer know him this way. He's talking to the Corinthians church that we used to know Christ as from a human point of view, but now we've experienced him. We've known his power. We've known his love. And he wants us to have that same mindset. When you see a child, when you see people that don't look like you, even those people who have offended you, can you still see them from the eyes of love? Can you still show them mercy? Or you are looking for revenge? This is a call that God is calling us to. You know, some of us have broken relationships. The council culture has entered the church. The council culture is the way of the world. You can disagree with, a, with someone, you know, maybe their teaching is not in line, but the way believers go after each other, the negativity, the cancel culture, we need to be careful not to engage in that. May God help us in Jesus' name. So let's live a life of love. Let's demonstrate it. Any closing remark, one question, comment? Okay, we take two and we round up. We take Sister Toy and Pastor Gide. Yes. My question has, you know, my question has to do with um, our first or the second teaching about trials. Yes. Uh, the in uh, I always miss uh, North and South Korea together. Okay. In North Korea, mm -hmm. I believe I'm right. They are not supposed to practice any religion. They, yeah. The only religion that I know that they have is their president and the, uh, and the ex, the father of the president and the, the grandfather. Okay. Will you consider that as trial for the citizen or like they already have the mark of 666 because what other options do they have? That's their country. That's where they are living. And they have no other choice mm. but to do what the country demands of them. Wow, Sister Tony, where are you taking us? Oh, my God. This is a whole... First of all, this is... 
part two. Part four. Why did you ask this question in part two? Um, well, for the people, that's their norm. They don't even know anything. For the people living in North Korea. But for the believers, for those who have heard the gospel, because you know there are Christians there, right? Those, they are, they are, that's a trial because they can't really be free. If they are found, they'll be, they'll be persecuted, they'll be, they'll be killed. So, yes, it's a trial for a believer in North Korea. But for a regular North Korean citizen, they are just in darkness. And we pray that the light of the gospel will shine upon them. But we can, you can have a special study with PJ on this, you know. It's um, global affairs and faith. Yes, Pastor. All right. Uh, thank you. I think that's a wonderful study. Um, I think it's just good to go back. Sometimes if we don't necessarily go back to why we're teaching this mm. or where we are learning this, uh, we will miss the point. Uh, to James is just telling us as believers to really not practice favoritism. All right? Mm. To do our best to not treat some people right and mistreat some people. And he gave a very clear example. Right, that you know, someone walks in because they look rich, we give them a good seat, right? But that's not bad enough. Another person walks in because they are poor, we shove them to a corner. Uh, so he's saying that we have a tendency to do that, to mistreat people because of how they look, and to treat people far more than they deserve because of how they look. And I think it's a lesson that we have to just learn ourselves. Uh, I don't think it's something we're going to be perfecting, really. Uh, but I think it's good to go through studies like this and say, you know, what, what do I learn from this? And how can I do better? How do I not uh, be someone that is really mistreating people because of how they present themselves? Uh, you know, and, you know, treating people so great uh, because of how I see them. Now, and he gave them a reason why. The reason why is that, uh, God doesn't rank people that way, right? God chooses the poor, you know, in that in, in the instance of poverty, right? Yes. To be rich in faith, that God doesn't rank people that way. So we are going to end up missing God in a lot of ways, right? Yes. Uh, Abraham, for example, we know uh, God is miracle by entertaining strangers. Yes. Who didn't look rich? Who didn't look anyhow, yeah. right? They look so ordinary, but he entertain angels so that as as christian we should really give everybody uh that god brings our way a fair shake and not misjudge them uh because we can actually miss god i think that's the most important thing we need to note that we can miss god by really you know using our human judgment which naturally we want to show favoritism we want to you know, treat someone better because the car they drive, how they look, what we think, you know, they are, and treat somebody not good simply because we have misjudged them. So if we do that, it just shows that we're going to miss God. And I think if we don't want to miss God, we just need to ask God to give us grace to be able to be consistent with him because he's a God that doesn't treat people that way, uh, you know. Now, I'm going to say something to the issue of Esau and Jacob that we brought up. I know we say we don't have a lot of time, but sometimes when we study the scripture, we have to look at context. The context of Esau and Jacob 
when God brought it up, is the is in the context of God's sovereignty. God is saying, I'm sovereign. There are some things I do I can't explain, and I don't have to explain to you because I'm God. You're just going to have to take that and leave that. That's actually the context where we know that, where he's saying, uh, you know, Paul is saying before they even came out, God already chose. But don't forget God is already, is also God that is all-knowing. He knew the future. So if God chooses one after the other, it is so possible because he chooses because he already knew the choice they were going to make. So in that sense, God is bigger than us. So we cannot say, oh, God is also choosing favorites. No. that means So we have to be very careful how we understand the scripture. Scripture is multifaceted, is multi, you know, when we are looking at that. So we, we have to be very, very careful. So God is sovereign. Yes. So God can do something that look similar to us, but what God sees, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So, so we need to really put God in his own category and let's stay as human and just receive his word and apply it to our lives. Amen. I, I hope I've made some sense. Very. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you to all our online audience. Very, very great comments here. Very great comments. Um, I pray God will help us. Um, this is very, again, if we miss this, in God's eyes, we've missed it all. And I, we should just pray. We're going to pray now. Um, let's just bow our heads and pray and just ask the Holy Spirit to help us. This is God. This is the Father speaking to us, teaching us how to live. Just let's ask God. Ask God to help you. To see people from the eyes of love, starting from our home, to see the people in our lives, to see our children, to love them genuinely, to value them, to honor them, to, to see even friends, family, those who might have hurt us, to even not to withhold things from them not to be told anything due, not to be told from them. Father, help us to live out this word in our interactions with people, in our place of work. A lot of us find it difficult to really relate with certain people because their their ethnicity, their race reminds us of pain, reminds us of injustice, unfairness. Lord, tonight, help us to see everyone Because Jesus Christ died for all. Help us to see everyone. Sometimes it's even the political party that people belong to. This is big in church. I have no family members who stop talking to others because of a political party they belong to. Trust me, people in Congress, they go to each other's house and celebrate. You know, so God help us not to be caught up in divisiveness, in favoritism. Help us to love. Holy Spirit, let the love of Jesus be poured abroad in our hearts once again. Let it flow. Let it flow in us. Help us to honor all men. Honor the elders. Honor the lowly. Honor the leaders. Help us to live out a life of love. Help us to shine as light in the midst of this crooked and perverse world. Thank you, Heavenly Father. 
Give us the heights of love, the heights of Jesus. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen, amen, amen. It's time to give our offering. Can we display um, the offering?